imagine you're chasing something your entire life that you think is outside of yourself and you wake up one day and realize you simply had it within. It wasn't in money, marriage, accomplishments, or having babies. The fulfillment is reserved for those that are dangerous enough to find home within themselves. That is my goal here for you. I want you to redefine what rich looks like for you. I'm Jessica Hurley. Welcome to Rich in Real Life. I learned a very finite lesson when I was like in my like 17, 18, 19. It was very clear to me. Like I heard it clear as day. I heard God say to me, like, I don't think you're getting this. You can't live. You can watch everyone else do it, but you cannot live one way by day and another by night and expect results. I'm not going to let you compromise your integrity and give you what you want. I have a purpose for you. I've shown you the path at a very young age. But if you keep doing these things at night, going out, over overindulging, like drinking, like all these things that deviate you and distract you from the path that I've put you on, then you're right. You're not going to have what I have given you. You are only going to prolong the process. So you cannot live one way by, by day and another by night and expect results. And that lesson has been on repeat in my life. And I thought I learned it. And guess where I found myself in my business at 34, 33? A lesson that I thought was specific to my situation. But when I realized they were the same things, it was just one in my personal and one in my professional, was everything that you did to get you here becomes a liability at scale. AKA the hustle, the survival mode, the bullshit drive that you had to have to get you to where you were for your first six figures will not, honey, get you over half a million. It will not. You will have to become a different person, a version of yourself multiple times, and you will have to let those versions of you die because doing the same things you did to get you there will drag you down, bury you, and drown you here. The SOPs, the systems, put those things in place so I can put my clients on a journey so I can do what I say I'm going to do or so I can offer quality and quantity like bring the people in, serve them the right way and have a business that delivers, but I can just do it and have a great business forever and be done. Mm -mm. Right. And, and be done crying on the floor. Yes. No, never. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> As you grow and something that's amazing about entrepreneurs is you guys have these great ideas and you're ready to launch this thing tomorrow. And I'm the same way. And so we can, yes, plug and play, but what will happen is that you'll find you still need the manpower, you still need the automations, you still need the emails, the scripts, the videos, all the things that, that go along with the business. And it's not always gonna work the same, not at all. So as you grow and as you learn about your business and you wanna ask the clients the feedback on how you can be better, you'll find like, oh, this client said that they didn't know what to do here. And you look at your process because we're going to be consciously aware of what we're doing. We're not just gonna say, I have the best process. We're going, we're looking at this and we're like, dang, they're right. I never explained to them what they're doing between week two and eight. So no wonder why I got chargebacks at week six. But we can actually start to see the patterns that are created when we ask people yep. and then go back and fix that problem. And that creates an even better client experience. And then 
goes into yours of the systems are like a living and breathing thing as you grow living your business. And, breathing thing. and even how I started the SOS advantage was I was going to go in and build these projects and then teach the CEO how to use it, teach their team how to use it, teach their team how to fix it. But what I found was the CEOs would come back maybe six months later and be like, okay, um, I don't know what to do now. It, yeah. it got disorganized. It got, it got chaotic because their patterns are repeating. And then can, can you fix it again? And when I look at it, I'm like, you, you literally just didn't use the form. <laughs> I cannot break down to y'all how many times I come back to Megan and I'm like, we did the thing. It was great for a very short time. Mm -hmm. And now it's not great anymore. And I don't understand. And Megan asked me questions and I'm very used to it now, but I, it used to piss me off. She'd be like, so what else is chaotic in your life right now? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we're talking about my business. We're talking about this not working, like my staff not understanding. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, right. So what else in your life is chaotic? And I'm like, what the? And But you were always tying it to like, watch this. What do I always say that you say? So you're telling. <laughs> so, so you're telling me. So you're telling me. They so, say I say start my, my ass handing statements with, so you're telling me. <laughs> your ass handing statements. So you're telling me that you're not going to do that and that's fine. But I want to make sure that you know, in about six months, it's going to look like this. And you would always have to show me that I was like repeating my pattern, that I would, mm -hmm. we would put the system in place. I would go back into survival hustle mode. Mm -hmm. I would do things out of order, out of the system. And six months later, we'd find ourselves back where we were overwhelmed, stuck. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, and it always came back to, so you're not using the system. Or if this one thing didn't work, you need to like readjust that mm -hmm. and then stay inside the, the process. The little box. The systems in the little box. And you keep trying to play in the, in the playground, get your ass back in the box. You have found and decided this is the part that brings me joy. Yeah. So how can I have more of this? And to have more of this, I have to take less of this. Yes. And I think so many of us are so distracted by that damn number yeah. or continuing to pay the staff that we have or continuing to buy the inventory that we think we have to buy or whatever the thing is mm -hmm. that we just cannot fathom less. Yeah. Cause we're like once it's to me, it's the, it's the equivalent of therapy. You know, people are like, I'll go to therapy when I make enough money. Yeah. To yeah. Pay. Yeah. No, Bitch, go to therapy now. Today. Like, hey, today. Yesterday. Yes. Yes. I don't care how much money you have. Find it. Go. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. then it will change your money. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I'm listening to you and I'm like, I think it's so profound that is a person of logic and realistic as you should be. Yes. Yeah, yeah. God knows we need it. But you have decided, okay, here's the part that brings me joy. I want more of this. Yeah. And I will burn it all down. Yes. <laughs> and rebuild it again to make sure that I can have these intimate relationships with my clients because less is more. Yeah. I think a lot about the fact that I say that Little Fish is our own target client. So mm. I am our client, small business owner really small team, professional services, figuring it out. And so one of the special things about that is it means I am not just having accounting conversations. I'm having CEO conversations. I know what you're going through because if I haven't already, I'm going to. Correct. And so I have people that advise me too in order to know that. And one of the things that I noticed about like talking to small businesses that I don't think I knew, I knew at first is that Numbers are scary because people don't know what they mean. And if you understood them better, then you might be able to make a different decision about what you wanted to do next. So a lot of it is like my bookkeeper gives me financial statements. And I'm like, did you look at them? No, but they give them to me every month. I'm like, then why are you paying them? Because 
you have no idea what's going on in your business. And if you're not going to know anyway, you could save that money that you're paying them. They're putting it in place for you, but you cannot make strategic decisions. You can't decide what you want to do next in the business. Like none of that gets to happen because somebody's doing something in the background that you don't even look at. And so what was important to me was that clients felt educated because that's what I need. Accounting happens not to be the thing that I need the most help in, but there are a variety of business things that I'm like, I'm not the expert in this, but I want to understand because that's how we get better. And so what I knew early on, especially for really small businesses, was that most people get deliverables. You get Mm -hmm. a tax return, Mm -hmm. you get financial statements, you get a thing. And somebody's like, I did this for you. I'm an expert. You have it. So if anyone asks for it, here it is. Correct. (laughs) But I was like, do you understand your tax return? When you say, good example. People always want to talk to accountants about saving taxes, right? So people come to me (laughs) constantly and are like, how can I pay less in taxes? Here's the thing. If you pay less in taxes, you usually got to spend money. So if you're going to spend $100 to save $25 in taxes, I'd rather you just pay the $25 in taxes. So my question when people say, how can I save on taxes is, how much money do you have in the bank? Because I can tell you all these ways to save money for your taxes in December. And you're going to have a light Q1. And all that money that you spent to buy 17 computers and pay yourself 38000 in bonuses yep. and spend all that. And then come January, you don't have no money, money. in the bank. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so for me, it was more important that you had that. That we can have a conversation about like, yeah, a tax return. I'm going to do that. That's going to be fine. Right. But like... What are you trying to get in your business? What do you, how much money do you need to pay your team for three months? Mm -hmm. If you're going to take a month long sabbatical next year, how many clients already need to be in your pipeline in order for that to happen? Taxes come after that. Cause Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that you can sustain yourself, that you can make decisions about the big picture. And then I can give you tax advice that actually supports that. And so when I started thinking about that's how we can serve clients differently, it also helped me to think about other small businesses. And it's like, what would that look like for you? Ours happens to be tax returns or monthly financials or whatever the thing is. But like, how could you add a little bit more of your expertise and charge more for it so that you don't have as many people pulling on you in order for you to get paid? Journalism and media are two different things. Yes. And we have veered so far away from that. Yes. And I wanted to return to what is the craft? What is the actual craft? And people who dedicate their lives, they go to school for this or, you know, they work in newsrooms day in and day out to get information factual. And I wanted to do it in a way that really could take something that folks weren't doing, which was collecting Black innovation research and data and making it available to investors, to um, you know, public entities, governments, so that they could use it to make smart decisions about how the world looked at and saw the design of innovation hubs that were sorely missing folks of color or were so sorely missing women. And I did that in a seven-year span. I got right out of grad school. And part of the reason why I even launched the plug was I was in grad school with a thesis talking about, I wanted to examine black innovation data and black innovation movements, but I couldn't because the data was not accessible. So I'm in class in a data journalism program at Columbia University, 
with a thesis that I cannot deliver on. Mm. So I had to go back and use my class assignments to develop data sets and do man- like the manual work of collecting information, looking at articles, verifying information, making phone calls, creating surveys to build out my own data sets. And then from there, I had a partnership with Vice and I started just publishing. What are the fastest growing Black-owned co-working spaces? What, what doing a map of Black-led tech conferences since the 1970s? Like all these things where people didn't even ask these questions publicly and newsrooms were not checking for them. And so the stories would go viral. I got a ton of attention and I got to the point where it was like, it's either now or never. I'm going to build the Black Bloomberg or I'm just going to sit down and continue to complain about getting really shitty information on Black people in business. Because I don't want to just, I don't want to be inspired. I want to learn strategically how to build a company and how these people who come from communities like I come from, may have had a background like me, how they were able to build partnerships, hire teams, you know, build the kind of technology that they were building. I wanted to see that so that we weren't just referring to Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk all the damn time around innovation. Right. Because there are plenty of people around me who were building really dope things. I'm going to open the floor to you on this wall versus a fence because I have also built systems. Um, I have also been in the process one too many times of building systems in my business and it feeling way more messy to do it almost unnecessarily to the point where I'm like, I could just keep doing this the way that I was Mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. This is taking way too long Mm -hmm. for me to build the system that you are telling me or selling me that is going to make my business better. And I think that is the back end or the breaking of the next level. It's the equivalent of you decide you're going to redecorate your closet and you tear everything up and you throw it on the bed. And then you're like, I got shit to do today. Why the hell did I do this? Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to take way more time than I would have liked it to take. What is... What is the thing that I think business owners need to understand when transitioning to like six Mm. to seven and seven to eight, Mm. the back end versus the front end? I think people need to understand that who you are as a six-figure business cannot be the same person of who you are as a seven-figure business owner and cannot be the same person who you are as an eight-figure business owner. I think... I think we have to understand it. And this was even a piece that I had to go through and still kind of going through it a little bit of like, but I'm still the same person. It's like, no, Erica, you're not (laughs) like you're not. And I think part of it is also understanding too, is the business is also not the same at six figures and it's not the same at seven figures. And so part of what we're still going through is, I mean, I've had my business for six years, but I've been full time in my business for two years. And I also had a six month sabbatical in that two years because I just needed to heal and release some things. But in that that process, when we crossed the seven figure mark, we crossed the seven figure mark with systems that my team and I had built when we were at a quarter and a half a million dollars. Right. And so those systems could not hold the capacity to move and go forward to where now, even though we've crossed the seven figure mark, one of my priorities for this year, my strategic plan is building eight figure operational capacity. Mm. And that's the the reflective question that I ask myself and I always ask my team when they're like, should I do this? Could we do that if our business was at eight figures? Could we do that if our client base was triple what we currently are serving? Would it work? And if the answer is no, then we need to do with whatever the answer would be yes. 
Because if, if it could work now, but as we continue to grow, and I believe the impact that we have is too great to stay small, we have to build from where we want to go. And that means that it's, it's, we're going to have to slow down to speed up. So like even just last week, we had to completely rebuild a whole entire funnel and switch the software that we were using for our checkout pages. Because where we are now in our business is our, our, the majority, in order for us to continue to grow, we have to be bringing in more cold traffic, mm. which is a completely different sales strategy. It's Correct. a completely different Correct. marketing strategy. Yep. All of our previous marketing and sales systems were built based off of warm traffic. Right. Which means we don't need as many touch points, which right. means we don't need as many one-click upsells. Correct. Which means we don't need many tripwires. Right. And now we're at a place where we have to be more sophisticated in our strategy in order to continue to grow because I don't want to stay small. I don't want to be the best kept secret. Like I want everybody to know who we are and our impact. And I think to your point of front end versus back end of now that we're being intentional about our visibility, now that I'm being intentional of getting in front of strangers, that means I also need to build legal structures. Oh my God. <laughs> that means that I need more legal protections in all the small and big ways. Let me tell you, I file a trademark about once a month, <laughs> right? <laughs> and if they're taking like 10 months right now. <laughs> if you see something, no, I already got a trademark for it. Before I even put it out in the world, a trademark. I had to put my attorney on retainer. And a year ago, I took her off retainer because I was like, we don't, we're not, we, using, we're not using her. And now- I'm doing nothing but using her. Doing nothing but using her, right? All of the small and big legal structures and trying to anticipate it as much as possible. But guess, guess, guess how you find out you need a legal structure? When it's too late. When somebody- F around and find out, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's how you, oh, oh I now damn. need a legal disclaimer at the beginning of each one of my virtual workshops because yes. someone tried to F around and they found out, right? And so that's, that's the back end part of it is when you see these legal structures, it's either somebody told me out of wisdom or I had a situation where I had to protect me and my company. And now as a result, we have this new legal structure. So the key point here, and I think that we have to accept because each of us at our core, I think we Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our most foundational need is belonging, is, is relationships, it's being loved. And it is hard for us to envision us no longer belonging. And the reality is, is as you are growing a business, there will be spaces where you will no longer belong. If you had to answer this one question, if you could only do one thing in your business to grow, what would that one thing be? And for me, it is just focusing on having your customer be the hero. And that in itself will compound. And so a lot of people especially in like service-based uh, expert businesses or even e-com businesses, they think that their product is the thing that get, gets all the attention. And they don't realize that it's just in service of supporting your customers. Your customers are the actual um, heroes. So our products that we sold, we sold grooming products for black men, um, men with beards. And it's really easy to say like, oh, our product is the best. It has all these ingredients. It has all these reviews. No one really cares about that. That got some traction. What got a lot of traction was if we essentially just gave our products to allow these men to show up as the person that they wanted to become. So our men were like alpha male. They wanted to grow and move up in the work world. 
They were high performance men. They wanted to launch businesses. And we just pretty much focused on that and supporting them in that way and allowing our products to just help with their confidence. So they showed up. So when they had the fitted suit, the nice clothes to make this presentation, this is the other thing that like, you know, like closed out the loop in their added minds on. that added it on. And so we just focused on that. We, they, they could care less about what was in it. They just knew that when they had it on, it made them feel confident and they were able to take on the world. And so that was a big aha moment for us in building our brand. Like we never thought that we were selling product. We always thought that our focus as a company was to build the best community for growth-minded African-American men and just supporting them in their journey. And if they wanted to support us, they can buy our products. But if they didn't, our mission was to just build the dopest community for high-performance men. And so that was a big takeaway that I wanted to share with the people at Amazon. Y'all, that is another episode of Rich in Real Life. If this episode filled you the way it filled me, Tag me while you are listening at Jessica Hurley underscore so I can say hello, share this with a friend or someone in your network who you know is in need. And please don't forget to write a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform because it helps us continue to spread the message. And if you want more from me, Rich in Real Life, or any of the other conscious creators that we work with inside Epic Media Network, head over to epic.co for more. Until then, I will catch y'all next week on another episode of Rich in Real Life.